0: Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. There's an important new exhibit that's coming to St. Louis next week. Lawyers Without Rights, Jewish Lawyers in Germany under the Third Reich, was first developed in Germany by the Bar Association there. It looks at how lawyers were treated in Nazi Germany and what happened to them after they were stripped of their law licenses. The American Bar Association worked with the German Federal Bar to bring an English version to the U.S. And beginning March 6th, it will be in St. Louis at the Law Library Association of St. Louis. And my three guests today are ready to tell us about it. The first is Gail Wexler. She's the library director for the Law Library Association of St. Louis. Uh, Gail, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. And we're also joined in studio by Dan Rich. He's a curator and educator at the Holocaust Museum and Learning Center in St. Louis. Dan, welcome. Welcome.
1: Good to be here.
0: And our third guest is Will Meineke. He's a historian at the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington, D.C. and he joins us today by phone. Will, welcome to the show.
2: Oh, great to be here.
0: Gail, I want to start with you. You work to bring this exhibit to St. Louis. Why? Right. Well,
3: I uh, I really, I've been at this library uh, for about two and a half years and we are a public law library. But not not all members of the public know about us. And I think part of our mission is to do things that will educate the public on legal topics. So. I decided I wanted to do an exhibit of some kind at the library. I reached out to other library directors at similar libraries across the country, and through that, I connected with the San Diego Law Library, which was bringing lawyers without rights to their location. And I didn't know anything about it, but I was fascinated. So I went to the website for the exhibit, and I really felt this is such an important topic and also a very timely topic. I then contacted the ABA, the Bar Association representative, who sponsors the exhibit. And he let me know two things that made me even more excited to bring it here. Hmm. One was that it had never been in St. Louis before. And two, uh, Judge Richard Teitelman, uh unfortunately passed away a few years ago, a pillar in the Jewish community and the legal community Absolutely. had been working to get this exhibit here at the time that he died. And I knew Judge Tidelman, and I felt what a great way to honor his memory Then by getting the exhibit to St. Louis and to the library. So to sort
0: of carry on that legacy of what he wished to do before he died.
3: Exactly. Uh,
0: Now, Will, I understand this exhibit's origins are in Germany, and it goes back, I I believe, uh, about two decades. What got people there looking at this topic? Well, actually,
2: its origin stems from a public inquiry to the uh, Bar Association, the Federal Bar Association in Germany, requesting a list of all Jewish attorneys in Germany under the Nazis. And the more they looked at it, the more they realized there were some compelling stories there about the interaction with, you know, the Nazis and then the Nazi German state. And then finally, you know, their persecution and removal from from the bar, Um, that they thought that it could really be a compelling story through biographies to tell the story of what happened in 1933 to Jewish lawyers.
0: So to sort of tell these individual stories and buy that to, to make it the story of the whole profession. Exactly. So give us um, give us a sense. I mean, what did happen to lawyers in, in Nazi Germany? I mean, we know this, this isn't a happy ending, but when did these things start to come into effect after the Nazis took power?
2: Really, right away in 1933, you know, Hitler is well known as having no respect for lawyers. He's often quoted as saying, every lawyer must be regarded as a man deficient by nature, or else to foreign by usage. He didn't like lawyers. He didn't like law. He much preferred direct police action under executive authority. But he is really left with no choice because there are so many legal cases that they would overwhelm the police on one hand. And on the other, his own advisors have told him that if he does away with the justice system, that the German people wouldn't see that as legitimate. They would see it as pure state persecution. Hmm. And he's sort of left with the judicial system, but the next step is he wanted the judicial system to reflect Nazi values. And, of course, the premier Nazi value is racial, racial purity. He simply defined Jews as non-German and insisted that it, since they're non-German, they shouldn't really be working in government positions or in legal positions. You know, they began a whole campaign under the motto of we want a German law, not, not a Jewish law. Hmm. And, and that wh- sort of started the whole campaign.
0: What was the German Bar's response when, when Hitler was putting these things into, into reality?
2: Well, it, it happened to coincide with a crisis in the occupation of the German Bar Association. I mean, the number of lawyers had doubled in the republic. You know, the democracy had opened the profession to more people, so more people were practicing law. So the profession doubled, and then the economic difficulties in the republic meant that the fee structure for, for lawyers had collapsed. So we're talking a fifth of all lawyers really earning much less than even an industrial worker. Hmm. Um, So with this idea of removing Jews and politically suspect lawyers from the profession, purging them from the bar, um, it looked like it could be a solution to this economic crisis. And in fact, the Nazis do reduce the number of lawyers by about a quarter and quadruple the average income of lawyers.
0: So this worked out great if you're a Gentile lawyer and all you care about is making money. Absolutely. Dan, is what happened to lawyers in Nazi Germany unique compared to, say, similar professions like doctors or things like that?
1: Well, the the story of what happened to, to lawyers is included in our permanent a- exhibit. But also, yes, uh, those in the civil service were immediately affected. Certainly, the medical profession, academics—it really this uh, this affected all elements of society and all professions.
0: So Hitler was sort of drumming the Jews out of of all the good jobs wherever he could. Correct. So, Will, what ended up happening then to these Jewish lawyers? They they got their law licenses taken away. Um, after that, were they able to hold on, even as as people were being rounded up for camps and and all oh, the yeah. other horrible things. Part of the
2: problem for the Nazis was that there were so many Jewish attorneys. Um, we're talking, you know, 16% of all lawyers in Germany were Jewish. Hmm. So they couldn't really be purged every night. It actually took until 1938 to remove the last vestiges of Jews uh, from the profession. And even then they had to maintain some of them because Gentile lawyers were barred from representing the interests of German Jews. So they needed some Jewish attorneys to stay there, although they called them consultants (laughs) Uh, to function. Most of the lawyers uh, emigrated. They left Germany. They they saw no future for themselves in Germany anymore. They had to get out.
0: And most of them were able to get out before things got even worse.
2: Yeah, I I think so. Yeah, most of
0: them. Okay. Dan, I know this is also, as you say, this is one of the stories that you delve into. Um, what would you want people who are coming into this, whether they're lawyers or non-lawyers, what would you want them to take away from from the story of what happened to the attorneys?
1: Well, first, we're, we're really thrilled that uh, Gail was able to bring this exhibit here. I had the opportunity to see it. And again, we're very, very excited and happy to support it. Uh, It's just one example of one group of people and looking in depth at how they are treated and what happens. And, you know, again, we can expand that to so many other professions that it's a very significant and important uh, element to learn about.
0: And so, Gail, this exhibit, it's not going to be just open to lawyers. You're saying anyone can come up to
3: this law library? Yes, absolutely. It will be here for three months. And um, our, unfortunately, our opening program with Will is sold out, although... That's not unfortunate. <laughs> that, that seems <laughs> wonderful. It's, right, it's great news. Great get, get on the waiting list because we may have openings. But we have, uh, we're open to tours. We love to have community groups. Uh, synagogues and other houses of worship, uh, lawyers, non-lawyers. We've already had uh, several tours um, booked. And we also have another program in April with Professor Layla Sadat of Washington University. She's an expert on the International Criminal Court. That is geared toward lawyers it's a legal education program Mm -hmm. but it is open to others it will be a fascinating program
0: and i know you worked with some other partners on this and and you wanted to make sure that we gave them some credit who who did you all work with on getting this year
3: yes so uh, obviously our national partners and international the american bar association and the german federal bar the aba was a huge help and locally not only the Holocaust Museum here, but ADL Heartlands and Jewish Federation Lawyers Division. So
0: And yeah. so if people are coming in to see this, how much time mm-hmm. would they wanna allot to spend with this exhibit?
3: I would say about an hour or so. There are twenty four panels. The first few are historical in general about uh, the rise of uh, Jewish lawyers in Germany after World War I and then their subsequent uh, stripping of their licenses. Then there are 20 profiles of individual lawyers Three are women; the rest are men, and they're really fascinating snapshots. There are also photos that are relevant to each individual. Uh, so I would say about an hour would, would be a great amount of time. Okay.
0: Now, Will, I, I know that this is this is there for the general public. You don't have to be a lawyer to appreciate this. But I know that since it is a law library, there's probably going to be a large number of lawyers who come look at this thing. What do you think would be important for them to take away from this exhibit?
2: I think we'll take away that it's really important to maintain professional values, to really think in terms not just of what's required of a lawyer in our society, but also the bigger picture of the role of law and justice within our society as a whole, and to really you know think long and hard about the importance of a free and independent and vigorous bar association that's not so connected to the government or dependent on the government for... Uh, for support.
0: Do you think if some of these Gentile lords hadn't been so focused on just their own bottom line and and had tried to fight this, is there any chance things might have gone differently for uh, Jewish people in the legal profession there?
2: It's very hard to say because it's Mm counter-historical. But I do know that Hitler and the Nazis were worried about the reaction of lawyers. Hmm. They were worried because they had access to, you know, courts and the and the whole civil process, that that could be a way to limit the Nazi goals and the things that they wanted to do you know, as heading the government. So so people might have, have made a difference. It. it might have made a difference.
0: Uh, it's chilling to think about. Um, so that exhibit is Lawyers Without Rights, Jewish Lawyers in Germany Under the Third Reich, and it'll be at the uh, Law Library... Um, Law Library Association of St. Louis that's in downtown St. Louis. It's actually on top of the courthouse, scale. is that exactly. right?
3: Exactly. We're in the civil courthouse. Uh, hopefully the website for the exhibit is up on your website. That's right. Uh, that's your best place to go to get information on all of the programs, the hours will open, how long is it will be there, and how to arrange a tour.
0: Okay, and there's one last thing I wanted to just ask Dan about while we have him here, and that is that his organization, which is the Holocaust Museum and Learning Center in St. Louis, recently announced a major expansion. This is some huge news. Right. Um, Dan, tell us what you're up to there.
1: So word is out that a major expansion There's going to be a groundbreaking probably sometime in June for uh, more than doubling our size and it's gonna be a major change and a wonderful opportunity. But I do want people to know that until June, the tours are coming. The doors are open. We're open six days a week. Check out our website, and you'll see we have an exhibiting exhibit opening uh, March eighteenth, an art exhibit, a multimedia performance March twenty second, a new exhibit on liberation uh, in April. Also, so uh, and a drop in tour every Sunday to see our permanent collection, every Sunday at ten thirty. So come so see us now. Uh, We'll be doing some interesting things in the interim before we have a, a major, larger Very exciting museum.
0: So if that one hour at the Law Library Association of St. Louis whets your appetite, there's a lot more information you can get about what happened. Well, Dan Rich of the Holocaust Museum and Learning Center in St. Louis, thank you for being here. Thank you. And Gail Wexler of the Law Library Association of St. Louis, uh, thank you for joining us, and good luck as you launch next week. Thanks so much. And Will Meineke of the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington, D.C., thanks so much for sharing your expertise today. Thank you as well. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.